uh, the world. That was filmed in America. Okay, so um, uh, please do go onto iTunes, download 27 Million by Matt Redman and LZ7. Uh, we had some Beeson projects go out yesterday. Rachel, where's Rachel? Are you going to come and tell me about this? Ah. Have we got some pictures to go with this, Mark? No, they didn't work. Okay. You'll just have to speak then. What were you doing yesterday? Tell us. Uh, should I take it? Or? Okay. <laughs> um, so yesterday, a team of about 13 or 14 of us went to a house in North Holt um, where a lady called Vicky lived, and she had eight children. So she's a very, very busy lady. And um, half of us painted her dining room and fixed lots of things in her house that were broken, like the banister and a cupboard and things like that. And then half of us cleared her garden because she had a lot of junk. Um, and so we filled up the Beeson van three times and took it to the tip. And some of us played on the trampoline with her kids, which was, in fact, I did more of that than the moving. <laughs> but that was really fun. So no, it was a great day. I'd never done a Beeson project before, um, but it was very, very humbling. Um, some people here might not know about bees and projects and how they can get involved, so we can make that happen. But what motivated you guys to do it? What did you think waking up in the morning, and what did you think at the end of the day, uh, having done what you'd done? Um, I think part of the reason why we wanted to do the project as young adults, a kind of group of life groups, is that we wanted to do something together as a team, which was a way of us getting to know each other and... Um, spending time together uh, and I think also we just wanted to do something to help somebody else it really was that simple um, and even though it was a Saturday it wasn't actually a very early start so we didn't start till about 10 so it didn't feel like it was that much of an inconvenience and we were finished in time for the rugby and everyone came home I think feeling as if um, that family's life was they were cheered up by what we did and Vicky was really really grateful um, and so, yeah, it was very feel-good, actually, and it felt like faith in action, I would say, which is a good thing. Rachel, thank you very much. So, guys, every single one of us can take part in the Beeson Project. There are Beeson Projects going on all the time. There'll be another one coming up next month and one the month after. You can do it with and through your life groups, with and through your clusters. Um, uh, the idea is to get involved in some of this. We can do them whatever age we are. There's always something we can get involved in. So I do encourage you to get involved in a Beeson project. Okay, Chris, why don't you come and bring us um, your word this evening. Let's pray for Chris, shall we? Father, thank you for Chris and for what you've laid on his heart. And uh, Lord, we want to pray that you would uh, take what he says now and you would speak to us in our hearts and minds that we might be changed by you this evening. Amen. Are we through now? There we go. Okay. Always good to turn on your microphone before you start. Well, good evening. Welcome. It's great to see you. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new or visiting, we would love to get to know you better. And if we can answer any questions that you might have about St. Paul's, about who we are, what we do, then do come and find uh, one of the team. We'd love to help you out with those uh, and get you connected if you'd like to be. 
Uh, tonight, um, I want to talk a little bit about discipleship. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, for those of you who were here, Mark, uh, our vision night, spoke about the vision and direction for St. Paul's. It's still um, available to download and listen to, and if you haven't managed to already, please can I encourage you uh, to do so. Uh, over the last three weeks, we've kind of looked in more detail at that vision, not focused in a bit more. And last week, Mark talked about the importance of forming relationships and being part of the body of Christ. Uh, because as human beings, we're made to connect with others. We're made to relate. We're made to uh, be interdependent with other people. God has called us, uh, us kind of individually and as a whole, to join with him in building his kingdom. And that means bringing good news to others and helping as many people as possible to find Jesus. We're to work for justice and for the poor in particular, including freedom for the prisoners and those caught in slavery, those who are burdened and battered. We're to grow the kingdom in every way we can, wherever we find ourselves in, because that is the work of the disciple. And as we've you know, listening tonight, watch that video and listen to the song and um, whether or not it's our kind of taste in music or whatever that might be, the issue about what are we going to do about 27 million people caught in slavery is an issue of discipleship. What would Jesus do with 27 million people caught in slavery? What would Jesus do about one person caught in sexual slavery, abused and tortured with no way out? What would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't sit and do nothing. Um, what about Beeson? It's great to uh, go out and be part of a Beeson project. I was out on Thursday night doing the van run, dropping off furniture, building a bed and driving all over West London, it felt like. And again, just the privilege of seeing um, individuals receiving something that's been given by many of you and others. Because a disciple gets stuck in, a disciple changes things. We're going to look tonight um, at a well-known passage, and I know it's, it's really easy, isn't it? When we look at a passage we've read many times before or heard many sermons on before, we can go, well, you know, I know what's coming. And, and, and maybe you do, because actually, to be honest, I don't want to say anything hugely new tonight. Um, what I hope and I pray is that the Spirit of God would stir our hearts, that the Spirit of God would grab hold of us and maybe challenge us, maybe speak to us again about what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It's the Great Commission. It's the end of Matthew's Gospel. If you've got a Bible, can I encourage you to turn there? I'm going to read now. Matthew 16, 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us through your word? May we have ears that are willing to hear, and most importantly, hearts that are willing to act and obey on what you tell us. Please give us new things to feed on tonight, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
The passage we just heard in Matthew's Gospel is at the end of Matthew's Gospel. It's in a context. So often we can hear this passage talked about as if it sort of stands alone, as if there's, there's no kind of bit before it and, and no bit after it, if you like. Well, there isn't a bit after it in Matthew, but there is a lot before it. Jesus has just died on the cross and been resurrected. And anything we know about the Christian faith is that the resurrection changes everything. The Apostle Paul says this, that if the resurrection hasn't happened, our faith is useless. That's what changed these disciples. That's what brought them to this place, up a mountain. A mountain in Matthew's Gospel is a significant place because it was significant to the Jewish people. And we know that Matthew is written to a bunch of Jewish Christians who've been separated, been scattered from um, Palestine and Judea um, and were facing intense persecution from other Jews, particularly the Pharisees. Hence, all the way through Matthew's Gospel, we find lots of references and kind of confrontations, if you like, between Jesus and the Pharisees. This bunch of people, 11 guys... There were 12. One of them has, has killed himself and is, is, is off the scene. And, and, you know, they must be still living with that tragedy, actually. If they'd lived with him for three years, that must have been hard for them. Um, and they come up the mountain, and it says that um, they worshipped, but some of them doubted. Um, the word doubt here uh, means, it kind of implies a state of uncertainty, hesitation, and probably disbelief. Anyone relate to that in the context of the Christian life? A mixture of uncertainty, hesitation, and probably some disbelief. I think that's probably a common experience, isn't it? We have some faith, but it's not immune from those things. But these disciples still turned up. They still worshipped, even though they were uncertain. They still worshipped, even though they just really couldn't work out some of the big things. You know, Thomas, you know, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the wounds in his side. And Jesus so graciously, and how many of us wish he'd do that for us, allowed Thomas to see and touch. And Thomas believed uh, and followed Christ uh, with more commitment and passion than before. But these disciples turned up. They're normal people. They're everyday normal young people, in fact. They're fishermen, tax collectors, even extremists. Um, The only one with an education, in fact, was Judas. Because we know that he knew how to handle money. That's why he was given responsibility for that. And it didn't work out for him. The ones who were still there are those who, who just went to join their parents', their parents trade. You know, the fishermen or the tax collectors or whatever it was. And they stand before the risen Jesus and hesitate. And hesitate. They just aren't sure what's to come. And Jesus comes to them and makes their calling clear. Go into the world to every group of people in every nation and make disciples of them. And so this evening, I want to look at some questions that we might ask about this whole idea of making disciples. Firstly, I want to ask the question, well, what is a disciple? Secondly, how do I grow deeper as a disciple? And can I really make disciples of other people? Are they questions that you've asked? They're questions that I think are so important in this topic. We live in uncertain times. Economically, the situation is kind of unstable at best. Um, More and more people are facing unemployment, especially those under the age of 25. Um, Environmentally, we're in trouble. You know, if you watch the news or read the papers at the moment, it talks about we could be facing a severe drought. You know, the water table's never been lower. Um, Our environment is under threat. You know, we can face uh, persecution on different sides. You know, uh, Christians might be, min- uh, might be um, marginalized and we might feel like we're a small minority of the population. 
We might be you know, under pressure in the workplace. We've got to work longer hours for less pay uh, with more demands placed upon us. There's pressure in our family life. There's pressure in, in, in our school life and the, the, kind of, the kind of heaviness to succeed above all things and how that can make us feel. And isn't it true that when we're in those situations of pressure, the temptation is simply to batten down the hatches, uh, to tie up in the harbour and to wait for the storm to pass? If I just keep my head down, maybe I'll get through. The thing is, is that Jesus calls his followers in the storm to get out of the boat. Whenever there seems to be a storm hitting the Lake of Galilee, the disciples always find themselves right in the middle of it. Either that's incredibly bad timing, or Jesus is trying to make a point. That in life, we can't avoid the storms. If we just duck under, it'll get us somehow. Jesus says, I want to walk through the storms of life. Being a disciple of Jesus is about navigating the storms of life with him. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. The church that Matthew writes to um, had chosen to, to kind of circle the wagons to protect itself. It was really unusual in the early church. The early church was known for being so outward focused that everyone came in and, and dealing with the issues of all these different cultures and people groups was primarily what particularly the Apostle Paul and some of the other writers addressed. But in the case of Matthew's Gospel, this, this group of Jewish Christians was holding fort. And they were like, we don't want any more people in. We know we face death and trouble, so keep people out. And, and Matthew wants to make the point, that's never an option for us as followers of Christ. We're to be out there in the storm. We're to go and make disciples of every people group, to the outcast and the lost, to the people that no one else wants anything to do with including ourselves. So, question one, what is a disciple? In the New Testament, there are two main words uh, that describe who the people of God should be. Uh, the first is disciple, and the second is pilgrim. Now, pilgrim's quite an old-fashioned word. I prefer the word explorer, because I think that kind of makes more sense to us. Um, a disciple isn't someone who just acquires information about God, uh, but someone who learns skills in faith that he or she puts into practice. I think the word apprentice works really well for that. We're to be apprentices of Jesus. We're to learn to live like he lives. We're to learn to speak how he speaks. We're to work how he works. We're to imitate him in every area of life. You know, an apprentice car mechanic can spend as long as they like reading books on cars, understanding how to fix things, but until they open the bonnet of the car and work on an engine, they're not really a mechanic. A teacher needs to understand the subject that they want their pupils to learn, but until they stand up in front of a class to teach, are they actually teachers? An apprentice is someone who puts into practice what Jesus tells them to do. Who Jesus is, how he taught, we put it into practice. That's what it means to be an apprentice. So an explorer is someone on a journey. Uh, ex an explorer is always looking for new frontiers, new places uh, to follow, to go to. Um, and, for, and in this context of, of discipleship, it's looking for new places to explore with Jesus. We are never static. We never stay still. We're looking to change and to change the world around us. So a disciple is an apprentice and an explorer. Those are the two words that the New Testament uses to describe the people of God. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus with the whole of their life, every bit of them. 
the Apostle Paul says, you know, lay all of your life, your waking, your sleeping, your working before God as an offering, a sacrifice. That's your act of worship. So we follow Jesus with the whole of our lives, and we do it for the whole of our life. So we follow Jesus with the whole of our lives for the whole of our life. An apprentice and an explorer. That's, keep those two images in mind if you can, of what a disciple is. So how do I dig deeper? How do I grow as a follower of Jesus? Maybe for some of you here tonight, you wouldn't think you are a follower of Jesus. You're here to find out more. You're just exploring. You're considering kind of some big questions or some of the options. And I just want to say this, is that Jesus has a holds out a constant invitation to all those. Anyone who wants to come can come and be a follower. He invites us, but he challenges us. He says, you know, if you come to follow me, I'll radically realign your life. I'll change your priorities. But I'll set you on a whole new adventure, a whole new direction. And maybe that's something for you to think about tonight. But if we are followers of Christ, how do we dig deeper? We live in an age of instant gratification, don't we? How many of us this week have found ourselves frustrated with something or someone because it's been too slow? Or they've been too slow? Let's ask for a raise of hands. How many people are here are willing to confess that sense of slight impatience? I'm sure it's only minor. You're not confessing to anything too major. Or maybe you are, and you, we can pray for you later. Has anyone here, let's keep, I'll do a hand, I like the hand thing, that's quite good, isn't it? Hands up if you've got impatient with the internet this week. It's been too slow. How many of you lot can remember dial-up? I mean, really, that was unbelievably slow. It used to take me 15 minutes to download a one megabyte diary that used to get sent through. 15 minutes. I thought that was quick. How many of us have got frustrated or tired, we can keep your hands down now, with traffic or waiting for a tube or a car or a lift or whatever it might be? Maybe you've got impatient with your husband or your wife or your children or your family members because they're taking too long. How about you're in Starbucks and you're just thinking, for goodness sake, how long does it take to make an extra hot latte? That's my drink of choice. A long time, apparently. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, it's a great translation of the New Testament or the whole Bible. Um, He says this, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Okay. I'd just like to apologize. <laughs> Has anyone got a spade? I can just dig my way. We're going down. Okay. Armand, I'm very sorry. I will come to Starbucks at least twice this week. It's my good excuse. And I will promise never to complain about Starbucks again. I have to say, I do like Starbucks. And, oh dear. Right, let's stand. We're going to do ministry now. I think it's... Um, <laughs> I had a really good quote then, and it all got lost in the Starbucks thing. Right, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible. Um, <laughs> let's go back to that point. Uh, I love Starbucks. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he wrote the Message Bible, and he, he's a pastor, theologian, a poet, incredible guy, wrote some fantastic books. And he says this, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. 
a long obedience in the same direction. And in an instant age, uh, we simply want instant discipleship, don't we? The temptation is, why am I not fixed? Why am I not better? Why am I not good at prayer? Why don't I just get the Bible? Why can I not seem to overcome this habit? Why do I keep losing my temper? When can I change? Come on, God. You know, the world seems to treat impatience as more of a virtue, doesn't it? But I think the world is looking for deep people. People who are committed to this long walk, this long obedience in the same direction, this willingness to commit to Jesus for the whole of our lives, every minute of every day, as best we can do. Discipleship is about trying to follow and imitate Jesus, being an apprentice. We are always a work in progress, but we should always be progressing. We should always look to be going deeper, looking to explore more, looking to become more like Christ. And just as with his first disciples, whenever Jesus took them on water, you'd think they'd learn. They were either going to catch the biggest amount of fish they'd ever seen, or they were going straight into the eye of a storm. Jesus invites us into deeper water, because it's a scary place to be, but it's where the fish are. It's where the catch is bigger. It's in the storms of life that we change, and we're shaped as disciples. If we want to grow more like Jesus, we have to work at it, and it takes practice. There's no way around that, folks. There isn't an instant hit of discipleship. There's not a course you can go on. There are great books to read and great things to do, but it's about this long obedience in the same direction, a commitment to follow Christ, wherever he leads us and whatever we do. I want to go back in Matthew's Gospel to the Sermon on the Mount and look at one little, uh, three things from that sermon uh, that Jesus talks about, about how we grow as disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn there, that's fine. I'm not going to read it, but I want to just talk about three things that he talks about there. Uh, three practices that disciples are to do. And these three are this, prayer, fasting, and giving. Um, the Lord's Prayer is at the center of Jesus' teaching on discipleship. Why is that? Well, if we really do want to live as an apprentice of Jesus, if we really want to live as he lived and do what he did, we will pray this prayer as a foundational tool, if you like, uh, to grow as a disciple. Because I don't believe you can pray this prayer and not take action. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does it mean to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? It means looking outside of of, of our circumstances, looking at those around us and saying, what does it mean for the kingdom to come in their lives? And you know, the funny thing is, is as we start praying that prayer, we start working it out. We start seeing opportunities to do something. As we start praying that prayer, we start finding ourselves in incredibly awkward, difficult situations. Um, A few um, months ago, was I started praying for my cousins. I've got a lot of cousins on both sides of my family, and I'm the only Christian amongst all of them. So I started praying for my cousins. And within a week, I had contact on Facebook by one of them wanting to get into a discussion and interview me about my faith. Um, And another cousin suddenly said, oh, I'm in London. Why don't we meet up for coffee? I haven't seen him for 12 years. When you start praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. God will mess up your life in a great way. God will put you in situations and circumstances where he can use you. And it's the deeper water. It's the storm. It's the big catch of fish. We're compelled to do something when we pray the Lord's Prayer. If you want to grow as a disciple, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray it all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread, God. Because you know that prayer? When you pray the first bit, your kingdom come, your will be done, all of a sudden you need more of God's daily bread. Because God puts you in situations where you feel out of your depth and ill-equipped. 
And that's a normal feeling a lot of the time. Just to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, to come on to Hungry on Tuesday night. Just to kind of let you know, it's a, a time we're going to seek the Lord with real passion in worship. Um, it's on Tuesday evening at 8 o'clock up in the balcony room. If you want to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And maybe ask God to use you. Why not come along on Tuesday evening? It's going to be a great time of worship, of prayer and ministry. And if you can make it, I would really encourage you to do that. So that's prayer. Fasting. This discipline grows our character and teaches us not to be so focused on ourselves. It's not a very fashionable kind of thing to do. I don't like being hungry. I'm sure many of you are the same. But if we're to grow more like Jesus, then we have to train ourselves. It takes hard work and sacrifice. You know, fasting reminds us of a few things. And here's the first thing. One, that we are more than what we eat and drink. We're more than just the physical things around us. There's more to us than just our appetite. Fasting challenges us about the whole issue of poverty. Because even if we fast for a whole day without food, we've drunk more water and we've done more things than most other people could imagine. We're challenged about poverty. It's there. Our hunger is there to remind us that there are others in the world who have less than us. Fasting makes us more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We become more aware of his presence and voice. And I have to say, it doesn't often feel like that when you're fasting. Because you just feel hungry. And if you're like me, you get irritable and grumpy. And, you know, you just... All you can suddenly think about is food and what you had for breakfast and when you last ate. And you're thinking, you're frustrated because it's supposed to be a holy moment. It's supposed to be this great time with the Lord. And and you just feel tired and crotchety. Fasting adds weight to our prayers. Because we only really fast when we're serious about something. Jesus assumed that we would fast because we need to train ourselves. Discipleship comes as we're training um, and we're in a season of Lent and, and you know, many people have given up all kinds of different things. And the point of it is this, is to make space for God to speak. It's a, like a spiritual detox, if you like. It's to try to purge ourselves of stuff that we've collected or we, things that we do that we wish we didn't or to make more time and room for the things that matter. It might be a, a discipline of, of abstinence. We might give up stuff like chocolate or Facebook or whatever it might be. But it might also be kind of a discipline of, of, of doing stuff, of... Um, Engagement, so things like doing a Beeson project or you know, giving more money away or whatever it might be, ways that we can develop our character. But when we fast, and particularly food or whatever it might be, we're saying to Jesus, you matter more to me than my meals today. You matter more to me than the television that I watch. And it, it trains us. You might not see an instant result, but that's not the point. We become more like Christ. It deepens our faith and I walk with him. So prayer, fasting, giving. The famous um, church reformer Martin Luther said this, when someone becomes an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus, there are three conversions that are needed. The first is the conversion of the mind. The second is the conversion of the heart. And the third is the conversion of the wallet. The way to be a more generous person, Martin Luther says, is to be a more generous person. There's really no way about it. The way to deal with greed and stinginess in our lives is to give more of our lives away. We're going to be looking in a bit more detail over the next few weeks, so I'm not going to kind of plow into this in a whole, whole lot of detail. But I do want to leave you with some things to think about tonight. The first is this, giving and generosity 
according to Jesus in the New Testament, it reflects the generosity of God. We have been given so much, therefore we give. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. Almost don't even think about it. Freely you've been given. God doesn't really think about it, Jesus is saying, when he gives to you, because he does it so generously. So have the same mind. Give like that. Giving deals with our tendency towards greed. I've been really challenged recently. I've heard the same quote twice. A a guy called Tim Keller talks about greed. And he said, when you, I think it was his wife said to him, if you do a teaching session on greed, no one will come because no one thinks they're greedy. And straight away, I thought, well, I'm not greedy. And then it caught me and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I've been quite quick to not judge myself. But giving deals with our tendency to be greedy, to hoard, to hold to ourselves. It breaks the power of greed in our lives. Giving furthers the work of the kingdom of God. Paul talks about giving in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He talks about an offering for the poorer churches because they needed it. The giving provides for those who have no means of providing for themselves. So giving is really important. It's a, it's a discipline that we take up. It's a decision that we make. So how do we give? I just want to give four suggestions um, that uh, you probably find in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 particularly. I think they're really helpful and it's, it's really shaped how I would think about giving. And Jesus says the same in Matthew 6. Firstly, give in secret. It's not about everyone else needing to know. You give. God knows that's what matters. The second is this. Give regularly. One-off stuff, maybe just give it weekly, daily, monthly, whatever it might be. The third is this, give generously, but proportionally. Um, We talk about tithing. Tithing in the Old Testament was was a common practice. In fact, it was the minimum of what the Israelites would give back to God. They would give tithes and offerings on top. But it's a good principle for us to think about. Giving 10% uh, of the first fruits of what comes in, of our salary packet or, or whatever it might be. We give of the best to God. We make him the number one priority. And we do it as a discipline. If we do it regularly, we do it by standing order, whatever it might be, it's done. It's there. It's part of who we are. And I think that's really important. I find it really helpful for me because if I didn't give, I know how greedy I can be. I know how much I'd like to spend on myself. And at least this in some way puts a check on that and reminds me that there are others in this world who are just as important as I am. Um, It reminds me that, you know, I'm not just money. I'm not just about the possessions that I have, but I'm more than that. Um, If you want to find out more, part of our giving is that we give to church. You know, we give to St. Paul's here if we're part of the church here or wherever uh, we call home. We give proportionally here because we want to see the kingdom of God uh, extended through the, through the work of St. Paul's. And we've got forms at the back. You can take them away and, and have a read and have a think and a pray about how might you give, even if it's a tiny amount. You know, I love the story of the widow's mite. All the religious people trot through and give all their money. and It's probably quite a bit. And this woman comes in and gives absolutely next to nothing. Jesus goes, she got it, they didn't. Why? Because she gave all she had. I love that story. It reminds us again. It's so easy to be pompous about it. But, you know, the widow gives nothing, almost nothing. But Jesus goes, she gave all she had. She gave from a generous heart. She gave because it was worship to her. And that could stir us. So that's why we we give. So prayer. If we want to grow as a disciple of Christ, we pray. The Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. We fast, we give up food, um, and we give. We give of our time, our money, our energy, our love and grace, especially when we least want to. And finally, Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is that we're to be people of action. 
He said, you know, there are two, two types of people. The first, both of them hear my words. Both of them hear my teaching. Only one of them puts it into practice. We're to be people of action who put the words of Jesus into practice. And so in doing that, we listen to him in this passage. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. C.S. Lewis said this, the church exists for no other purpose than to draw people to Christ and make them like Christ. If it is not doing this, then everything else is a waste of time. C.S. Lewis, great writer, loved the church, a wonderful theologian. It's about discipleship and making disciples. That is the crux of the matter. That's what the key thing is. We're to obey the command of Jesus and make disciples. But we might then ask the question, can I really be part of someone who, a group who does that? How am I able? I'm not formally trained. I've not been to college or done a course or even been a Christian very long. In fact, I've been a Christian such a short length of time, I don't feel I have anything to offer. And, you know, maybe we do really feel under-equipped. We just don't know how to answer the questions that come our way. We, we, we don't feel confident enough to explain our faith. But to be honest, most of the time that I've been a Christian, I've never felt particularly equipped or ready to do what God's called me to do I think that's part of the reason we're to pray and depend on him because God doesn't call the ready and the equipped he equips those that he's already called and he's called all of us to play our part in making disciples so if you follow Christ that applies to you and I want to give some practical suggestions on how we might do that because it's all very easy for someone to say go and do it and you go how yes but how And here's how. Firstly, I want you to think of the idea of reproducing the life of Jesus wherever you go. I want that to kind of headline, if you like. To reproduce the life of Jesus wherever we go and with anyone we meet. And that means our first priority is the kingdom of God wherever we are. In school, in college, in the workplace, in our family life, uh, whatever it might be. And that affects our lifestyle. Because we're to live differently as Jesus and his first disciples lived. For example, we forgive those who hurt us. We look to bring peace into broken situations. We are publicly known as disciples of Christ. We spend our money differently. We have a different attitude towards the future. Because we're people of hope. We intentionally seek out the last, the lost, the least, and the lonely. None of us are perfect at that. But that's pretty much, and there's so much more, but that's how we're to live. That's the kind of people we're to be. Take those principles, put them into the situation you find yourself. I don't know about you, but I find show-offs and know-it-alls rather irritating um, and really tiresome. Um, Because it's easy to tell people what to do, but actually people are influenced by what we show them. Discipleship happens best in relationship. And I just want to say as a little caveat, if if you're wanting to grow as a disciple of Christ, my advice to you would be to find someone who's a little bit further along than you, or that you think think is, and ask them if they can give you some advice. They will probably think they're the least qualified person to do that. But they might be able to give you some input and help. I just think relationally that's really important. And that if you want to find out more about that or ask about that, then do come and grab me. And I'll give you some help to kind of think about through a little bit more. 
Um, we need to be in close proximity with those who are not yet followers of Jesus, if we're to make disciples, so that they can see us, see this way that we're living, and ask us questions. The best evangelism happens in response to a question. It's really hard to persuade people to talk about God. But if we provoke them in a good way uh, to ask those questions, then it's easy, or easier. And then we have to think about what we're going to say and how we're going to do it. So imagine, someone says to you, uh, why, how do I pray? You talk about prayer, you've offered to pray for me, how do I pray? And you go, oh. But if you're already praying, you can just tell them your story. Well, do you know, I pray 15 minutes in the morning. And I do, I start with, I say thank you. Uh, I thank God for the good things in my life. I, uh, I say sorry to God for the stuff that I struggle with. And, and I ask God to help me out. That's all I do. That's really easy. We can all do that. And what you're doing there is discipling someone else. Because they might go, I can say thank you to God for something. I can say sorry for the stuff I've done wrong. I can say please for things that I want him to do. And someone starts engaging in that relationship with God. It's easier to teach someone, some people something that we're already doing ourselves because we can tell them stories. And people love stories. They love to know that it works. So we're to live differently. And we're just to tell stories. Just to help people bit by bit to follow Jesus. You can teach people who aren't Christians. You know, most, loads of people who aren't Christians are quite open to be prayed for or to pray. So we can help people to pray, to connect with God. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't that be amazing if people start praying and talking to their Heavenly Father? I'm convinced one of the reasons I came to faith was because I prayed for a year or two before I became a Christian. I used to talk to God quite a lot. I didn't know God was there. I wasn't sure who God was. Maybe I was mad. But I was trying to pray and trying to communicate something of, to who God, you know, tell God what I felt like. That I was miserable or upset or sad or happy or whatever. Maybe we can help someone else find Christ through that. I'm going to finish with this. Jesus said... I, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The thing that marks out the people of God is the presence of God. If we follow Christ, we have his spirit, his presence living within us. He is with us and he is in us. When we f- suddenly find ourselves in a challenging situation and we're asked a question that we don't have the words to answer, the spirit will help us to answer it. If we're lacking courage, the spirit will give us courage. If we need to get started again, the Spirit brings forgiveness and a fresh start. If we need power in prayer, the Spirit brings power. The Spirit gives power to be his witnesses, to be the witness of Jesus, that we might make followers of him and see this nation changed. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about that. I'm slightly terrified. I know that that will involve challenge and sacrifice and hard work. But to be honest, that's the life we're called to live And it's the best life we could possibly imagine. Because the hope of things to come, the joy of seeing others changed, it's worth it. Can I invite us to stand? We're going to invite the Spirit to come. We're going to ask him for his presence. And ask him to minister to us. Jesus, we know that you're with us now. We welcome your presence. We welcome your grace and your mercy. But we ask for more. We pray that you would increase your presence. You'd pour out your spirit upon us now. 
come, Holy Spirit. We're just going to wait. We're going to ask and wait. I think tonight, for some of you, the Lord wants to deal with fear. Fear of the future, fear of failure, fear that you can never be good enough for God. The Lord just says, come to me, all I have you laden and burdened. Come to me with your fear. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I think the Lord tonight wants to assure those of us who are struggling with fear of his presence. Lord, would you do that, I pray. Some of us, it's the, the, the need for courage. We're, we're in a situation that, that to be a, a Christian, to live, we think, a kind of Christian life would just be too costly and we're afraid, of the, we're afraid of what that might mean. And I think the Lord wants to give courage to those of you in that situation. Lord, I pray for courage. Pray for boldness to fall. God doesn't uh, call those who are ready and equipped. He equips those that he calls. And I think he's calling people tonight to um, a deeper walk with him. Calling people tonight to a place of um, uh, sacrifice with him. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to step out now. I think there's quite a few for that. Why don't you just come out and step out across the front? You respond to anything that Chris has said, but also those you know, he's calling you to a deeper walk with him. Just come and step out now. Make your way out. People just barge past people. People will let you come. Just come on out. If he's calling you to it, come on out now. Come out to the front. I want to encourage you. If you're a life group leader on the ministry team, can you just come out now as well? I want some people to come and pray. Let's not leave people standing on their own. 
He's calling some people tonight to a deeper walk with him. And um, Chris talked about a quote from um, somebody who said, the way to grow in giving is just to give. Actually, the way to grow in Christ is just to step into Christ. It's just to choose to do it. And in choosing to do it, you'll grow. If you have a desire to grow in a faith in Christ, just step out now and let us pray for it tonight. Start any time. Why not start now? Why not just choose tonight? Say, I'm going to grow stronger in my faith tonight. Can I get the ministry team? Can you just come and find somebody who's around the front here? Come and gather around them. Don't leave people on their own. Let's start praying for people and asking God's kingdom to come. folk who are able to come and pray, that would be great. We're gonna, not going to rush this, we're going to take our time to pray and, and ministry team do keep moving around. There's lots of folk come forward who would like prayer tonight. Just always reminded that Jesus um, recruited his disciples with an invitation. Come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you know, if you've not made that decision to follow Christ, if you've not responded to that invitation, maybe you've been around for a while or you've spent time with Christians or you've just heard lots of teaching or input and you're thinking, I've never actually taken that step to receive that invitation. Can I encourage you tonight? Why don't you just take a step forward now? Come out. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to kind of help you to initiate that, that, uh, that journey of discipleship where not only are you changed, but God will use you to change others in the world. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship together. I'm going to pray for folk in the context of worship. So um, if you want to step out for prayer, come now. I'm going to hand over to Mark.
take over. Oh, Lord. Father, let your spirit...
Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to um, join in one voice to sing our final song. As we do that, we're going to take an offering uh, as we offer our gifts to the Lord in thanks to what he has done for us in our lives. And more than that, to offer our gifts, praying that he would take them and multiply them and use them to see his kingdom come. So let's stand and worship God as we do this. Come on. 
ransom in glory His face I at last shall see To be my joy through the ages To sing of His Father, thank you that we can go in confidence this week knowing that you have a love for us that transcends everything. Lord, thank you that we can wake each day knowing knowing of your love 